Welcome to the St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship Podcast. Today, one of our teaching leaders, Brett Tanko, will be discussing Genesis chapters 20 and 21. On behalf of the entire BSF community, we want to wish you a happy new year as we trust God's provision and faithfulness as we head into 2021. St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship, or BSF, is currently meeting virtually on Zoom every Monday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Central Time. For more information and to connect with our class, visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Now let's prepare our hearts, open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 20, and join Brett as he shares truths from God's Word. Good evening. Welcome. Welcome back. Uh, It's been a great break. Hopefully by this time you've forgotten a little bit about how to use Zoom or Teams or whatever program you use to join web meetings. But uh, thank you for joining us tonight. We're glad to have you back here at BSF as we continue our study of the book of Genesis, looking at Abraham's life. Tonight we're going to look at Abraham and uh, the birth of Isaac, but also some encounters that Abraham has with Abimelech. We're going to have like a an Abimelech sandwich, a little bit of Isaac in the middle, Abimelech on either side. So without further ado, let me pray for us. We'll get started and we'll take a look at the book of, Gen- uh, the book of Genesis chapters 20, uh, 21, 22. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to remember that Jesus was born to forgive uh, all of us from our sins, and that he was born as the the promised offspring that would come and crush the head of the serpent. Thank you for Christmas. Lord, thank you for a new year and a new opportunity for us to look at your word. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, again, welcome back. I read a book over the break, a uh, book by C.S. Lewis, a great book called The Horse and His Boy. It tells the story of a young man, young young boy named Shasta. Now, in the story, Shasta runs into a talking horse, and together, the two of them, Shasta and the talking horse named Bree, decide they're going to flee slavery that they're both experiencing in different ways in the land of Kalerman, and they're going to head north for a kingdom they've never heard of, but a place that they are looking forward to being in called Narnia. And if you're familiar with these books, there's obviously a lot of backstory with the the land of Narnia. But it's a long way away from where Shasta and Bree begin their journey. They have to travel hundreds of miles, maybe further, behind enemy lines. As we read the story, we get the sense of Shasta and Bree against the world. Uh, Everyone is potentially a spy or able to turn them in. And so they're very much alone and isolated as as they go along in their journey. Now, as the story unfolds and a lot of things happen, uh, one of the things towards the end of the story is that Shasta is given some opportunity to complain about his situation. And he goes on for many pages about how he has been going through life by himself, alone. He's isolated. He's in danger. There have been all these lions. There have been all these hard things that have happened to Shasta. And once again, even though he's, he's back almost in the land of Narnia, he once again is by himself. And maybe you felt that way. You've, you've just felt like, here I am again alone. I'm isolated. I've been overlooked. I, I'm teetering on the edge of, of something bad. And, you know, the only guarantee that I have in this world is that I'm going to continue or I'm going to once again find myself alone. Now, 
after his time of complaining, Shasta is given some new perspective on his experiences. And I don't want to spoil the story, uh, but there is a king of kings that exists in Narnia. The great lion, Aslan, explains to Shasta all the ways throughout not only his journey with Bree, but throughout his whole life, Aslan has been present and, and keeping an eye on Shasta. And I think, you know, in our, in our world, C.S. Lewis was writing an allegory. And the allegory for us is we don't have a lion named Aslan that watches over us, but we have the God of the universe. We have his son and we have the Holy Spirit that are, are promised to be present with, with God's people throughout our lives. And the, the, the principle, the thing that I think we're going to learn uh, from our chapter tonight, our, our chapters tonight in Genesis, chapter 20 and 21, is that God's God's people are never actually alone. God has promised that uh, he will be with his people in all the things that we do. And that's our, that's our aim. And I think the reality is that when we walk with God, when we are with God, there is a big difference between feeling alone and actually being alone. Let's take a look at some of the ways that God was present with Abram and with Abraham and Sarah as they kind of go through this final phase of their of their time together as, as before Isaac is born. We're going to be in Genesis 20 and 21 tonight. We're going to look at it in in three different sections. The first one is going to be Genesis 21 through 18. We're going to see a, a narrative, a story about Abimelech, Abraham and Sarah. We're going to then take a look at chapter 21. We're going to look at it in two parts. We're going to look at the birth of Isaac and also the departure of Ishmael and Hagar. And then we're going to look at the final part of 21. Uh, It started in verse 22 to the end of the chapter, uh, a treaty that Abraham and Abimelech signed regarding water near the town of Beersheba. Let's go ahead and get started. Chapter 20. We again see that Abraham is traveling in the land. And if we look at our map here that Vicky's used from time to time, uh, this is a map of the land of Canaan. Down south of the area of Gaza here is where these events are taking place. The city of Gerar, where Abimelech was king, was going to be in that territory. Abimelech was a title much like Pharaoh. There could have been many different kings who were known as Abimelech. I believe that the name translates, it means my father is king. And so Abimelech is a title, so there have been other Abimelechs, other people named Abimelech in the pages of Scripture. This Abimelech appears to be affiliated with a, with a commander named Phicol, and they are in and around the area of Gerar, which is, again, south of, the land of, south of Gaza, the city of Gaza, uh, in, the, in the land of Israel, but further south. And so Abraham is here, and yet again, we find that kings, other men, are interested in bringing Sarah into their harem. And so that happens here. And, and once again, as when Abraham went down to Egypt, they told Pharaoh, hey, Sarah is Abraham's sister. Abraham said it, Sarah said it. And once again, we see that now Sarah has been taken into the harem of a king. Abimelech is essentially deceived by Abraham and Sarah with the same old story that they've been telling of Sarah being Abraham's sister, which is partly true, but also partly false. In a dream, in verses 3 through 7, we see that God reveals the truth to Abimelech in a dream. Uh, he, He says to Abimelech, return Sarah to her rightful husband, Abraham. He also, in this section, we also read that God prevented Abimelech from even touching Sarah at all. Uh, Again, God is protecting his offspring, Isaac, 
was going to be the child of Abraham, not Abimelech. And even in this, this, this deceit and these lies that Abraham and Sarah have told, we are seeing God intervening to protect not only Sarah, but the promised offspring that would come through her. Uh, in verses 8 through 13, Abimelech confronts Abraham. And he does it the very next day. Chapter 8 starts off, or verse 8 starts off, Abimelech rose early in the morning. So he had the dream last night. Early in the morning, he is up to set things right, to set things right with Abraham. Abraham cites that the reason that he lied to Abimelech was that there was no fear of God in this place. And frankly, Abimelech has, has really proven that that is absolutely false. Based upon his actions, Abimelech absolutely feared God. We see immediate, immediate obedience, and we also see Abimelech doing more than God asked. God said, restore the woman to her husband. Give Sarah back to Abraham. Abimelech does more than that. He offers uh, gifts to both Abraham and Sarah. We see this in 14 through 18. Uh, Sarah is restored to Abraham, but there is a thousand pieces of silver that are provided to Abraham declaring Sarah's innocence. There was no sexual interaction that happened between Abimelech and Sarah. Abimelech maintained it with with a, a significant amount of money. And then we also see gifts that are provided to Abraham, animals and people. He's also given freedom to dwell in the lands that belonged or were under Abimelech's control. Uh, We can see that uh, Abraham is also involved in the restoration of Abimelech's household. The wombs of the women in this household, including Sarah's, had been closed uh, so long as she was present in this house. Now, I don't, we don't know how long she was present in Abimelech's home, but during that time, uh, the wombs were closed. We also see God honoring Abraham, and Abraham is referred to as a prophet, and this prophet, Abraham, is going to pray, and he is going to restore fertility to the house of Abimelech. Remember the audience that, that Moses was writing to. These were the people who had come out of the land of Egypt, and they would, have, they would have had a great contrast in their own minds in the way that Abimelech responded to God's commands, God's instructions through this dream that, that God spoke to Abimelech and the Pharaoh of the Exodus. One dream on one night was enough for Abimelech to essentially let my people go. He let the, 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 the nation of Israel was essentially inside of Sarah and all that it took for this Abimelech to realize that he had made a mistake was a dream that came from the Lord. This is in contrast to the Pharaoh of the Exodus who had repeated opportunities to respond to God's directions to let the children of Israel go, and he refused. The Pharaoh of the Exodus refused time and again to heed the direction of the Lord through Moses and through Aaron. And the the reality, friends, is that there is no time like right now to obey God. Sometimes it can be difficult for us to know what is it that God is directing us to do. But if God has made something clear to you, if God has made it clear that there is repentance, that there is restoration, that there is something that you or I need to do, there is absolutely no time like the present to do that. The principle for this first section of of Abraham and Sarah with Abimelech is that our actions will not thwart God's plan. Our actions, yours, mine, 
will not thwart God's plan. When I was in college, I took up a new sport. I decided I wanted to play lacrosse. I'd never played before, and it was a great experience. I ended up playing defense because, for whatever reason, God has chosen not to bless me with a single offensive bone in my body. I just don't have the mindset or the ability. So historically, when we play sports, I play on defense. But you know, if you've, if you've seen sports before, fundamentally, the job of the defender is to stop or at least make it harder for the offensive players to you know, make a pass or score a goal, right? That's really what defenders do. That's our job. One of the, one of the players on, on my team, he was an offensive player on my team. His name was Seth. And during practice, I would spend a lot of time trying to guard Seth. Uh, Seth was a great player. Time and again, Seth would find ways to draw me into a position where he could make an easy pass or take an easy shot on goal. And it got to the point, you know, I was, we practiced every day, and so I, I knew what Seth was going to do, and it, you, you knew it was going to happen, and you're like, Seth's got the ball again, and you're like, this time, I'm going to get him. I have you now, Seth. I, I, I know exactly what you're going to do, because we've been in this situation hundreds of times before. Uh, but yet, Seth would have some new wrinkles, some new moves, some new head fake, and again, uh, it would result in Seth getting an easy shot on goal or an easy pass. And it just felt like Seth was the one calling the shots. Everything that I did, Seth was, was drawing me. He was, he, was, he was almost, I felt like he was using me uh, to make his job as an offensive player easier. And the thing that was, I guess the thing that was good about it is that Seth was a great guy. He was a godly guy. And so after he would beat me, he would usually apologize and be like, oh, sorry, Brett, I, I, I beat you again. And then he would end up saying something pretty encouraging. So Seth was a really great guy. But, but it really felt like no matter what I did, Seth was going to find a way to take a shot or make his pass. And, and you know, I, I think that's how we should feel as we interact with God. There are things that you and I might try to do either, either inadvertently or intentionally where, where people are trying to mess up God's plan and, and friends that cannot be done. Uh, we do not have the ability to stand in the way of what God is trying to accomplish in our own lives or in the lives of somebody else. Uh, it, we see it most perfectly in the life of Jesus Christ. People tried to crucify Jesus to stop God's plan from going forward, but yet they played into his plan. That was God's plan, was to use sinful desires, sinful motivations to accomplish his purposes. So how do you think that maybe you, or how do I think that I have messed up God's plan? You know, maybe there was some opportunity evangelism where you had a, a time to tell someone in a grocery store or someplace about Jesus and you kept silent and you feel like, I, I I've messed it up. I've messed up God's plan. That person might never hear about Jesus because I didn't act. Or perhaps you've committed some sin again and again. Uh, perhaps you're thinking that because of this or because of what you've chosen to do or what you haven't chosen to do, that somehow you've missed out. That, that whatever it is that God has for you or intended for you is gone. You've missed it. The plan's messed up and it's all your fault. The, the reality is, is that God doesn't operate that way. God knew exactly what was going to happen with Abraham and Sarah as they interacted with Abimelech. It wasn't like God had to come up with something quick on the spot. Oh no, Abraham did it again. 
What am I going to do? God doesn't operate that way. God knows our hearts. He knows our choices. He knows what we're going to do. And, and, and he is already has a plan to be able to deal with your sin and my sin in a broad way in the cross of Christ. Our sin has been resolved. But in, in detail, when you or I mess up today, God's plan is not thwarted. Now, here's the amazing thing. How is it that God has taken your actions, your good ones? How is it that God has said, I am going to take the thing that Brett did. I'm going to take the, take the thing that John did, and I am going to use it to further my plan. You know, as much as we like to think that we're messing up what God does, the reality is, is that God continues to use people to accomplish his objective here on earth. Friends, on a football team, we should be benched. We should not be playing. The coach should say, every time I put you in, Tatko, you are terrible. You fumble every time. That isn't how God works. God continues to to take his broken, fragile people who are filled with the Spirit, and he sends us out onto the field. And he's like, you are going to help me accomplish my plan. And that is the beautiful thing about the way God works in his people. Uh, As we go through this world, God will never bench us. He'll never turn away from us. He will continue to work with us and work on changing us to be more and more like his son, and we will more and more be able to participate in God as he carries out his plan. Let's go ahead to Genesis 21. We're going to take a look at the birth of Isaac and also the, 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 the cutting off of Ishmael and Hagar. So verses 1 through 3 of chapter 21, we're going to see Isaac is born. He has been long promised. Um, he has, he, this is something that Abraham and, and Sarah have been looking forward to for a long time. It's the fulfillment of the immediate prophecy from, uh, back in Genesis 19 in about a year, uh, Isaac will be born. And sure enough, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Uh, if we look at the special note on verse 2, it does seem like while Sarah was with Abimelech, she was not yet pregnant. So her conception, uh, which is mentioned here in verse 2, happened after uh, the time when she was in Abimelech's household. So this is the fulfillment of God's promise. We're going to see some more of that fulfillment, some more of Abraham's obedience in verses 4 through 9. Abraham circumcised his son Isaac. Again, uh, this is Abraham being obedient. This is a sign of the covenant. It's an eight-year-old baby, and you're, you're performing a surgical procedure. This was an act of faith and obedience on the part of Abraham. He, he completed it perfectly. And we get a footnote about Abraham's age. He was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And uh, we have, we've had other age indicators. But as a reminder, in Genesis 12:4, Abraham was 75 when he left the land of Haran. So Abraham has been 25 years as a sojourner waiting uh, for God to more fully fulfill his promise. And this is the first time when we're really seeing God fulfilling his promise. Isaac is born in his old age. And then we're also going to see uh, the, the sort of the triple meaning of Isaac's name. Isaac sounds like the Hebrew word for laughter or he laughs. We sort of saw uh, last week, we saw uh, Sarah laughing almost... Uh, you know, in shock or uh, in a certain amount of sarcasm where she was like, am I going to really bear my Lord a son in his old age? We now see the joyful laughter of Sarah. 
Uh, and she says, God has made laughter for me, and everyone who hears will laugh over me. So she is experiencing the joy of, of having a child of her own, but we're also hearing the mocking laughter of Ishmael, which happens down in verse number eight. Uh, Ishmael in some way was laughing at Isaac, at this, uh, at this new child, and, and this created some conflict. Uh, this you know, Sarah sees this behavior from Ishmael, and she wants him gone. She wants Ishmael and Hagar out of the family, out of the house. And, and as we hear the word laughter, you know, there's probably many times when you were in junior high or you were in high school or some other time in your life when someone laughed at you, made fun of you, they, they, you, you tripped and fell down and someone laughed at you. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly what is happening here, but the implication is that in some way, Ishmael is rejecting or standing himself up against Isaac as the promised offspring. Abraham's turned up about this. Abraham does not like the idea. Abraham was a good father. He loved Ishmael. He wanted what was best for him. And he did not know what to do. But we see the Lord appear uh, in verse, in verse uh, it's not quite in verse 10, but it's around verse 10. We see the Lord appear and God said to Abraham, verse 12, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac, your offspring will be named and I'll make a nation of the son of the slave woman because he is your offspring. So God is really saying, don't worry about it. I have a plan to protect Ishmael and Hagar, send them away. Now, Ishmael is already 13, 14, 15. We don't exactly know how long the weaning period was, but Ishmael is a, is a young man by now, so it isn't like Hagar's going to be carrying him on her shoulder or in her arms. They're going to be walking off in the wilderness together. It seems like they don't have many much to go with in terms of provisions, a skin of water or some quantity of water and some bread, and Hagar departs. And... Uh, we, we see what happens in the rest of the tale. The, ultimately, there's, there's a fear of death, fear of, fear of running out of water, fear of dying in the desert, and God intervenes, directs Hagar and Ishmael to a source of water, and ultimately fulfills his promises where, where Ishmael becomes a great nation. Uh, he grows up in the wilderness. He lives in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So again, God is fulfilling his promise not only to bring Isaac, but to also provide for Ishmael. He will become a nation. There'll, there'll be some, uh, we'll, we'll read more about the lineage, the genealogy of, of, of Ishmael as we go forward. Uh, but again, God is going to take care of both of these first two sons of Abraham. The principle for this first part of 21 is that God will do what he has promised. God will do what he has promised. You know, our experience in life is, is that most of the time, people do not do what they promise to do. But that's our experience, right? And, and, and almost when, when someone actually does what they promised, when, when it really happens, someone says, I'll do this for you, and it happens, we're, kind of, we're like, whoa, hey, Wow, that was a significant deal. Uh, one of the things I thought about that sort of illustrates this for us is there's a story, it's a legendary story about Babe Ruth, right? If you can think about it, you know, Babe Ruth, he points, and the implication of the point is, is that he points to center field, and he's basically saying, I'm going to hit a home run at this at-bat. It was in this event, the, the event that kind of led to this. You, you, I've, I'm not a big baseball fan, but I'm aware of the story. I'm aware of this, this, this legendary story of Babe Ruth pointing 
and then essentially following up that event with a home run. That took place in 1932. So we're talking about an event. It's not quite 100 years ago, but it's getting there. We're, we're remembering this, this baseball legend who, who promised with a point to hit a home run and then delivered it. And, and there is debate around this, this, uh, this home run event of Babe Ruth that's present to this day. People are still trying to work out, did he really point? Did the point mean he was going to do a home run? We're, we're so used to people not keeping their promises that when somebody does keep their promise, we begin to say, no, 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 no. It's a misunderstanding. He didn't really mean that when he said it. Uh, we, we have this, this resistance in ourselves to believe that people will actually do what they promised to do. And uh, the reality, friends, is that in these last you know, couple of verses that we've looked at, God's accomplished two things that he promised. Isaac was born, and Ishmael has been protected, and will become a great nation. If we sort of toss in the events of Abimelech and Sarah, it's kind of three things where God has, has kept his promises. To Abraham, to Ishmael, uh, to Sarah, he has kept his promises, and he has continued to do that. As we go forward in Scripture beyond the book of Genesis, God will continue to keep his promises. Um, well, what are your thoughts about some of the things that God has promised? You know, the, the pages of Scripture are filled of things that God has promised. You know, forgiveness from sins in Christ, the ability to resist temptation, the process of being renewed and changed by the Holy Spirit, the promise of eternal life with Jesus, Jesus' future return. I could go on. But what do you think about them? What do you think about these things that God has promised? Do you think that these things are true? Do you think that God will live up to, that God will accomplish all that he has promised? And the other question is, if, if what God is telling us is in fact true, how should we live? How should we act? How should we respond to God if, if what we know that God has promised, not about what's already happened, but what about is yet to happen, how should we live, how should we act, what should we, what should we do if these promises that God has made are really going to happen and if we really believe it? How should we live differently? How should we treat other people? How should we uh, think about the future? How should we plan for the future if we know that God's promises uh, are true? Uh, chapter 21, verses 22 through 34, we're going to look at another interaction of Abraham with Abimelech, and there's a dispute. There's a disagreement. There's a problem that has arisen between Abraham and Abimelech, and we're going to see how God anticipates the problem and brings a resolution to it uh, before Abraham had to really pursue uh, that problem. So Genesis 21, verse 22, the well. It starts off, at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants. And so Abimelech has sought out Abraham. Now, we don't know, again, is this the same Abimelech? Is it a different Abimelech? It seems like it's the same one, just based upon the time within the passage. It seems like this is the same guy uh, that Abraham was a bit deceitful with. And so when Abimelech says, 
swear to me that you will not deal falsely with me. Well, he's already dealt falsely with him, so you know, Abimelech's worried about this guy. But he's begun to realize that Abraham's probably a great man, right? We already know that the, he had wealth. He had a lot of men that traveled with him. He was able to fight against the five kings and defeat them. So Abraham is a, a, a man of some renown in the area. And so Abimelech is coming to him and essentially saying, hey, let's, let's, let's deal kindly with one another. Let's deal honestly with one another in all of our dealings. And at this point, verse 20, chapter 25, verse 25, uh, Abraham brings up a problem with a well, a well near the town of Beersheba. And essentially what has happened is that Abimelech's servants have taken the well and they're using it for themselves and they're not allowing Abram to, Abraham to gather water and to use it for his livelihood, for his animals, for his own self-preservation. And so this matter is, is essentially resolved. Uh, Abimelech says, I didn't know about this. And so what, what, what does happen is that Abraham and Abimelech cut a covenant. Now, we saw a covenant back in chapter 15. You know, the animals were split in two. And, uh, you know, that you walk through and you, and you have a meeting. You know, God went all the way through. But in this case, Abimelech and Abraham are going to meet in the middle. And you can see that in, in verse 27, Abraham took sheep and oxen, gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. And Abraham sets apart seven animals to indicate that he is, he's being truthful or honest uh, about this well that had been uh, uh, disputed. And so the, the, the place is eventually called, they made a covenant at Beersheba. Uh, the, name of, the name of Beersheba could be translated as a well, the well of oaths or as the well of seven. The two words are very similar, but in this case, it probably makes more sense to think of this as the well of oaths. There was an oath, there was a covenant that was done here. And then uh, we see that Abraham begins to call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, probably this is something he'd been doing, but it's a, it's, a, it's a good place for Abraham to be. He is, again, he is focused. He is caught upon the name of the Lord. Uh, and God has provided for Abraham's needs. Water in this, in this land, we just saw that Hagar was out in this area on her own trying to survive, and she nearly died. Water is critical to sur- for, for survival in this part of the world. And so not having access to a well could be a major risk to you, to your family. Uh, you know, if you can't get water, you got tons of problems. And so God, had, God knew that this well had been seized. God brought Abimelech and Phicol to Abraham, and they were able to resolve the issue without a lot of conflict or disagreement or problems. Uh, God knew how critical water was, and he was proactively working to restore that well to Abraham. Abimelech had no idea what was going on. Abimelech's like, I didn't know. Uh, But again, this is the God. The God of the Bible is the God who sees. He is the God who hears. He is the God who knows what is going on in the lives of his people. And he is working to bring about resolution to those physical needs. And that's a principle for this section is that God provides for our physical needs. God provides for our physical needs. My, uh, I, uh, my, my son has a new baby. And it's, just, it's reminded me of all of the care that babies require. You know, babies really need a caregiver to do everything for them. Uh, they have no ability to feed themselves and in fact, when they do eat, they need someone to help them burp because they can't even they can't do that by themselves. You know, whether it's changing the diapers or putting on warm clothes, babies need help falling asleep. They 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 can't quite figure that one out on their own. You know, without a caregiver, most of the time it's parents. 
a baby would not survive. A baby would die. And so the fact that you and I are here today, me talking, you hearing, is evidence that some number of people put in a lot of time and effort to take care of us when we were little. They took care of our physical needs. They, they, they made sure that we were cared for. They made sure that we were warm, that we had food, that we had water, uh, that we had medicine. They, they, they took care of us. And the question that I was thinking about is, 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 would the God of the Bible do less for us than some other person? You know, all the people that you and I interact with and all the people that have cared for us over the years, whether it's been parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles or friends and neighbors, doctors, nurses, whatever, these are all people. These are all people that are no different than, than Abraham. They're, they're, they're no different than, than the people that we've read about in the Bible who are not perfect. These are people that are not perfect, but yet they've cared for us. They've provided for our needs. And, and why is it that we would think that the God of the Bible would, would care less for us than the other humans that we've interacted with so far in our lives? So it's a great question to consider. How has God provided for your physical needs? What has he done? And maybe you feel like you don't have enough. You know, okay. But have you given God the credit that he deserves for caring for you up to this point? Have you given God the credit for the way that he's provided income, that the way that he's provided clothing, the way that he's provided understanding of his word, the way that he's provided a church community, the way that he's provided for transportation needs? Have you given God the credit that he deserves for the work that he's done? And the other thing that we can ask ourselves, if we are lacking something, have we asked God about that? Have we asked God, why is it that I don't have this? Whatever it is. When God spoke to Abraham and he didn't have a child, it was like the first thing he talked about. He was like, I have no offspring. When, when, when you and I are lacking something, when something is missing in our lives, have we gone to God and said, God, why don't I have a stable job? God, why don't I have a car that doesn't break down every other month? God, why don't I have a, a, a relationship that, is, that brings me comfort and joy? Lord, why is my family so messed up? Are we willing to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm lacking something, and I don't understand why. There was a reason that, that Abraham didn't have a child, and there may be a reason that you or I are missing something in our lives because God is trying to do something or prove something or show something to you, me, or somebody else. And so perhaps the reason that we're missing something is because God is going to fill that later on in some miraculous way uh, the way that he did for Abraham. Maybe not, but maybe. So the, 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 the main truth that we talked about before we got started is that God is present with his people in all that we do. Uh, again, you and I are not going to have a, a lion that's going to show up in our lives to be present with you and with me in this world. C.S. Lewis wrote an allegory. Jesus is the, the person. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, they are the ones who are going to be present with us in this world. And it's all possible because of what we just celebrated at Christmas. Jesus came, Jesus lived as a man, he died on the cross and he rose again so that you and I could experience today a little bit of what it means to have God dwell with us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the, the person that is present in this world today. The, the, the God person who is present with us is the Holy Spirit. And, and friends, the Holy Spirit is meant to be a down payment of the biggest promise 
that God has made to his people, that we will live an eternity with him. And so we have a little down payment of the Holy Spirit today saying, hey, I'm with you. In the future, the world's going to be changed. The world's going to be restored. We're going to be in a city with the Lord, experiencing uh, really the joy of dwelling with him forever. What do you believe? What do you believe about the promises that God has spoken? Are you willing to trust God, to trust Jesus, not only for forgiveness of sins, but also for the blessing of eternal life? With that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the opportunity to look at Abraham's life. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the good parts about him and the parts that were less than perfect. Lord, we resonate with both of those. Uh, Be with us as we go from here, Lord. I pray that you would help us to believe like Abraham did. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be Abraham's descendants in the way that we believe you and believe what you say. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the St. Louis Young Adults BSF Podcast. Join us next time on Zoom on Monday, January 11th at 7 p.m. Central as we discuss Genesis chapters 22 and 23. To connect with our class, like us on Facebook at STLYABSF or visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Bible Study Fellowship is an international, interdenominational, nonprofit organization that is dedicated to studying God's Word one verse at a time and strengthening the local church. For more information, visit bsfinternational.org. That's bsfinternational.org.